Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Folly or Different, where we aspire to have real dialogues, not over-edited interviews with amazing people who are making our world a different place. And an iTunes reviewer has said, quote, this is a great podcast for those who want to be on a constant learning adventure. And man, is it an adventure, and <laughs> it sure is different. And if that sounds like fun, then you're in the right place. We are sponsored by Oracle NetSuite. They want to help you turbocharge the growth of your business. NetSuite is the platform for growth. So check out netsuite.com different. And I also want to tell you about my friends at onelifefullylive.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. And we've been doing a series of episodes with people who are speaking at this year's annual conference, which is October 12 and 13, uh, 2019, in beautiful Long Beach, California. Speakers include Jeff Hoffman, the billionaire entrepreneur, Dr. Caroline, uh, Dr. Caroline Colleen, who's an incredible author and amazing speaker and recent guest, the amazing best-selling author John Vroman from the Front Row Foundation, an incredible guy who I love, uh, recent guest venture capitalist Dr. Cody Sanchez, and today's guest, Diego Corzo. So check out the number one, lifefullylived.org slash C Lockhead with two H's for more information on One Life Fully Lived. This episode with Diego Corzo. Diego is a 20-something Peruvian-born entrepreneur living in Austin, Texas. He founded uh, uh, an outfit called freeby26.com, and his goal is to help millennials realize that they don't have to uh, settle for less, that they can have financial freedom and that they can be entrepreneurs. Um, his pathway to entrepreneurship has primarily been in real estate. Diego bought his first property when he's 23 years old, and today he now owns um, uh, over eight properties, giving him regular passive income, and he's fast on his uh, pathway to full financial freedom. This conversation is insightful and powerful because it sits uh, at the center of entrepreneurship, real estate. There's been a lot of talk about millennials and millennials being lazy and all this stuff. Diego flies in the face of all of that. And Diego is a dreamer. That means he is the child of Peruvian-born, undocumented immigrants living in the United States. And um, as you well know, the immigration debate in the United States is raging right now. And this episode takes a theoretical discussion about immigration and about entrepreneurship and makes it very, very real. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know, in general, I try to stay out of politics in this, um, on these conversations like the plague, because there's a lot of places you can hear about politics and we want to be a respite from that. I don't think this conversation around immigration and entrepreneurship is a political one. I think it's a human one. And so just let me tell you what I think, and then we'll get to Diego. I agree that we need strong borders. Countries need borders, and that makes some sense. We need to have some control over who's in and who's out. That makes sense to me, and I think that makes sense to a lot of people. And we also, at the same time, need a human caring policy for refugees. In addition, we need to have a discussion that I don't hear very much in the United States, and that is how do we attract and support immigrant entrepreneurs? By way of example, Eric Yuan, who's the founder of Zoom Communications, who recently went public and is now, uh, has now created over $20 billion in value in his company 
and is now personally a multi-billion uh, billionaire himself. It, and he's Chinese. It took him nine times to get into the United States. At a time when entrepreneurship is at what Wall Street Journal calls a crisis in America, the American government in the 90s tried to stop Eric from coming here. Diego came here as a, as a young boy and has now become an extraordinary entrepreneur. You're going to hear about what he's doing and it'll blow you away. And so the conversation I hope we have, particularly as we go deep into this election cycle, is not just the one that we're currently having about immigration, but the one that I think we need to add to it, which is how do we, the United States of America, attract legendary entrepreneurial immigrants? And so Diego's story shows us what happens uh, when uh, an immigrant comes here and wants to be an entrepreneur. There's also another dimension that you're going to hear in Diego's story that I think is important to tease out. Uh, amazing entrepreneurs that I know, David Osborne, Pat Hyben, and Tim Rode, all prior guests on this podcast, um, and, and others, took Diego under their wing and helped and supported him. So Diego's a shining example of what happens when you take a high potential person, you support the shit out of them, and then you let them flourish. You're going to love this guy, and this is a very powerful conversation. You can check out the show notes at lockhead.com. And now, hey-ho, let's go. I came with my with my parents, and uh, being completely honest with you here, uh, we came with a tourist visa. Six months later, when our tourist visa expired, um, we became what the United States calls like undocumented immigrants. And I found myself now, fast forward years later, I am what Congress calls a dreamer. So right now, that's a topic that's been uh, mentioned a lot of times in the news lately, articles. So I've been able to see and experience what, what, what has happened from my end for what it means to be a dreamer and to have DACA and all of that stuff and all the obstacles that came with it too. Yeah. So of course, I have none of this experience. And so... Uh -huh. Just give me some sense, Diego, of what is it like to be a nine-year-old uh, undocumented? What is it like to be an 18-year-old? What's it like when you start your journey in, into real estate and, um, you know, the incredible success you've had as an entrepreneur? Just put me in your shoes a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So as a kid, I never really knew what it meant to be undocumented. It was a term that I would overhear or like eavesdropping. On my, on my family because it's not like they tell me, hey, Diego, now you're undocumented. Um, I just had no idea and what it really meant until I went to the DMV to get my driver's license at the age of 15 or 16. I literally go there. I gave them all the documents that I thought were required, but they told me that without showing that I was legal or that I had a green card or citizenship or something like that, I wouldn't be able to get my driver's license or even, or even the, the potential thing that people get to have a year before they get their driver's license. So at that point, that's when I knew and that's when it hit me. Okay, this is what it means to be undocumented. I understand now. And you were 15 now or 16? 
I was 15 or 16. Yeah. yeah. And that's when I knew that my life is going to be different than my friends. And so I always had to like, I still wanted to do what all my friends were doing, but I was always trying to look for a ride. Always as like, I just knew that my life was going to, was not going to be the regular teenage or um, teenage or even going into adulthood life like all of my friends. Hmm. And so what are the differences? If, if, if I'm you, um, yeah. what, what are the things that happen to, to you in your life that probably don't happen to me in my life? Yeah, so I'll take you back. Um, basically, in 2005, that's when I was turning 15, 16. And so I hit that. But because I always, like, I saw all the sacrifices that my parents had, that my parents made, going from not speaking English. And my, my mom was part, uh, she was, she, she worked at a bank in Peru. And then when she moved to the United States, she was cleaning cleaning houses and cleaning bathrooms and all this other stuff. And they never really took a day off for a few years. So I saw all their sacrifices and I put everything that I could um, into my schooling. And I was able to graduate um, third in my high school class. What that meant for me was that um, at that point, I also found out that I couldn't drive or work right in my in my teenage years so literally um i graduated high school i got into florida state university and i found out that because of my undocumented status i couldn't qualify for any student loans or financial aid so i didn't have the privilege quote unquote to get into school debt uh which was now fast forward years later is like a blessing in disguise but i found out uh, it forced you to go make the money it forced me to get resourceful, right? So yeah. it's like one of those things that I always had that mindset that no matter what happens, there's always a way here in the United States. And that's something that my dad told me. He's like, the United States is, a, is the land of opportunity, but it is up to us to find it. And so I go into college. Hold on, Diego. I, I hate to interrupt you, brother. Yeah. Could you just say what your dad said one more time for me? Yeah, he said that the U.S. is a land of opportunity, but it is up to us to find it. Fucking yeah. A. Okay, please keep <laughs> Yeah, so from there, I always, because I heard that when I was young, um, I always was, okay, there's always a way, there's always a way to be resourceful here in the United States. So I got into FSU. Um, and I realized, okay, I only had enough money to pay for college for one year. And I had to figure out the rest of, of the year. So I began working in IT. I volunteered um, doing websites for nonprofits and small businesses. And one of those nonprofits told me, Diego, you've done more work as a freshman than what some seniors do in a year. We want to hire you. So I was like, awesome. This is going to be my opportunity to be able to pay for college. And as I'm going through the application process, I get a call and that's when they said that due to my immigration status, I don't have a work permit. So legally, I also cannot work. And so they legally like, okay, cannot crap. hire you. They cannot hire me legally. Yeah. So now I'm like, okay, I cannot work. I cannot drive. I can't get student loans. I have all of these obstacles. But I went back to my what dad told me. So I just did a lot of research. And I found out, interestingly enough, 
that undocumented immigrants can create their own LLCs. So that's what I did. I created my own LLC with, my, with a very good friend. Um, his name is Pascal. And we created an IT consulting company. And that is how I was able to get nonprofits and small businesses to pay me because they will pay the LLC. And then because I was a partner or, um, yeah, I think it's called like a partner or a manager, I was able to get paid from that LLC. Now, one of the things in getting creative, one of the, another thing that I did was I convinced a nonprofit to create a scholarship for me for a semester so that I could work there. And they created the scholarship. The money went to FSU and FSU rewarded me that scholarship, but I volunteered or I worked for them. So I, I just had to get creative with different ways to be able to pay for college. Wow. As, as you're talking, I'm just thinking you are the living embodiment of if there's a will, there's a way. I mean, you got a nonprofit, uh, assuming a very legit nonprofit, to mm-hmm. do this re-swizzle mm-hmm. for, to, 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 to essentially uh, pay you through, through an entire different mechanism and somehow you convinced them to do that and that would be a cool thing for them to do and they went off and did it. And yeah. you found the LLC thing and away you went. Yeah, exactly. So did, did uh, and I just want to play with you on this because it's so fun. Um, yeah. The fact that you were in this situation you were in uh, sort of forced you into being an entrepreneur. You had to start an LLC. Exactly, exactly. It did. And it got me to like, play and to like think of different ways to be able to pay for college, right? One of the, one of my classes I remember was like 500 or $800. And uh, the teacher said, Hey guys, if you, if you, if you know the answers to all of these questions, you will get an A. So that's what I did. I looked up all the answers. I wrote, I read the textbook, wrote down the answers. I memorized them. And I got an A. So I was that kid that basically had the curve. By the next time that we had the exam, I emailed all the students. There were like 200 students, let's say. I emailed them and I was like, I was the guy that set the curve. I'm sorry. But if you guys want to get an A too, just like I did, I, I will create a study guide and sell it to you for $10. And, or I sold it for $5. And by that time, exam two came by. I made $300 just by selling the study guides and I would meet people at random places around FSU. And by the time the third test came, I sold it for $10 because I think there was more than like, there was a lot of demand. Um, So yeah, so I was able to pay for one whole course just by creating study guides. So it was awesome. Well, and first, of course, you had to ace the test because nobody's going to buy the study guide from the guy that gets an F, right? So you had to do, exactly. you had to be at the top of the curve. And then, um, unlike most students, I think, I was very rarely the top of the curve on any uh, academic uh, dimension. So I can't necessarily relate <laughs> to that piece. But, but I would imagine the vast majority of kids who do well uh, academically just go, ta-da, and they do a victory lap and they're done. But not Diego. You sit there and go, how do I monetize my A plus? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I teach other kids how to get A pluses and I do it in a scalable way. I don't tutor them. I write a study guide so that way I can scale it, right? Because some people might become tutors. So exactly. you, you literally convert your grades into entrepreneurship. Yeah, and that's, and, but it's like playing that game with myself. Okay, how can I afford this? How can I pay my next, my next semester or my next year in college so that I could continue doing what I wanted to do? Yeah. And it worked there. And so yeah. uh, now I kind of know the answer, but I want to hear you tell me more about it anyways. Yeah. Uh, uh, where do things land for you in college, Diego? How do you do in college? Yeah, so I graduated college and at this point I still don't I still don't know what's going to happen next, but I was able to graduate college in the top 1% of my class at FSU with two bachelor's degrees in less than 4 years, and the best part was that I did it without accruing any student debt. But that's because I had to work my ass off to make it happen. So while people are out there partying and doing all this other stuff, I was out there doing websites for small businesses and driving in the hot summer heat at FSU to meet with clients. And I just had to do what other people wouldn't, wouldn't want to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I know this is going to sound corny and shit, but it's on my mind. So I'm just going to say it. I fucking love you, Diego. It's so great. <laughs> it's so great. Keep talking. Okay, then what happened? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so then I finish FSU, or like I'm graduating, and at this and point, what were your two that's degrees a, in your two your, your two majors. I got a degree in information technology, and another one in management information systems. So basically, technology and business, and I put it all together. Um, but the crazy thing was that as I was graduating, um, Obama passes the executive order called DACA, which is basically it allows um, dreamers like me who came under the age of 16, who graduated high school or college and have a, and have a clean criminal record. It will allow us to drive and have a work permit. And we renew it every two years. We go through biometrics exams. We go through all this research that they go through. And it goes from there. So that allowed me to finally graduate, but also have an opportunity because I didn't know, like I could only do so much without being able to drive and without being able to have other opportunities. Um, But that's when, um, that's when GM went to FSU and uh, I did an interview with them and they told me, Diego, you actually show that, um, that you have more work experience than other students where they have like other, they just have their work from that. They, that they, did working, with their they worked at Foot Locker for uh, a couple of weeks in the summer. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I was cranking out, um, cranking out like code for websites, small businesses and, and talking with people, right? I'd be like, Hey, how can I deliver this website that you're looking for? Right. With the small businesses. And half the time I had no idea how to do it, but I would go on Google and figure it out. Um, so GM, uh, they told me that I got recommended by the dean they said if you hire anybody from fsu it has to be diego 
Like if you have to hire Diego. So that's when they told me, we're going to hire you. Do you want to go to Detroit or Austin? And I chose Austin. And as soon as after I graduated, that's when I was able to move to Austin, Texas. But here was the thing. My papers, it was like literally the end of December. So the, the, the year of 2012 was ending and I'm supposed to start work at, F, at GM here in Austin in 2013. And I still have nothing. Like immigration hasn't sent me any paperwork. GM is expecting me to already have it. And I told them that that was happening. I told them from my, that my attorney said I was going to get those documents in three months and three to four months passed and still nothing. So I took a road trip to FSU with, I mean, a road trip to Austin with my buddy. And he basically helped me move there. He dropped me off. We, I bought a bike because I also, I, that was my only mode of transportation. And I basically, I, I moved to Austin anyway, without knowing that I, how I was able to going to be working or driving, or I didn't know anybody. So I just took a leap of faith. That's what basically happened. And, um, and for me, it's always been like similar to what my dad told me. For me, it's been like, I have this quote that I live by is if the door of opportunity is closed, I go through the window. So there's always a way for me to figure things out. And I was able to convince GM, this is me living by myself in Austin for like two to three weeks, four, four weeks, not knowing what was going to happen. I had to ask my dad for rent money. Um, I had, he was basically paying for me now because I, I wasn't making any money at this time. and. I found a way, I managed to convince GM to hire my LLC so that I could work as a contractor while waiting for my paperwork from immigration. And they said yes. And I had no idea why they did that. Well, they said that they loved me, but they just went above and beyond. And this was during that time where GM was insourcing everything and they were insourcing all of the contractors that they were hiring from Dell, HP, all of these other companies, they were getting people in-house. So there was a time where contractors were fired and my manager told me, Diego, I don't know what's going on, but you're still here. And uh, that day, because I was a contractor, I, the only time, like my mode of transportation in Austin too, was just my bike. So every day I was driving to work, biking back to work and stuff like that. Because at this point, of course, you still can't get a fucking driver's license. I can't get shit. Yeah, exactly. I don't have anything. (laughs) And, um, so the day that my man- Have you ever been pulled over by the police or like, had you ever had an interaction with law enforcement at all? I've had, yeah. Yeah, I've had. Before, before you had papers? No, 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 no. Okay, no. only I mean, since you've had papers. Oh, since I had, uh, yeah. I can't imagine what it's like to have no papers and to have to deal with, you know, a cop in the situation or it, it must be, oh, yeah. are you always living on the edge or how, how, how is that? Without documentation, you, you always are. You always are. And there is no, there's really... You never know. And that's like a fear that everybody has, right? It's like if a cop stops you and they want to be a dick, 
and they want to arrest you because you don't have a driver's license. Instead of giving you a warning and be like, hey, I'm going to let you go this time, um, they could basically put you in jail and then see what happens after that. If ICE comes and takes you or if, um, or if you are okay to pay the bond and get bailed out. And that can happen again and again and again. So yeah, it's just a fear that people have. And while I was at GM, I mean, while I was at FSU, for, for example, I turned 21 and I couldn't have an ID. And my, at that point, my passport was expired. So all my friends, I was the oldest of all my friends and they're like, Diego, let's go get some alcohol. And I go there and my passport is expired. I'm 21 and I still cannot buy alcohol. And I'm like, all these different <laughs> things, you know, like. I like, never thought about that as a problem as being undocumented. That sounds like maybe it's one of the top problems. <laughs> right. As a, as a student at a party school at FSU, it was. Um, but, um, but that was, that, that's the life, right? It's like, you just never know. And there's always fear. There's always uncertainty. And, but I've always been grateful of the opportunities that I've been able to get. And that's what always remembering that all the sacrifices that my parents did, then they, that they still do, um, so that I can continue working my ass off to make it happen and to help them out in the future as well. Now, you know, I have uh, many Latino friends, no surprise, living in California. And um, this may sound stupid, but like I, I, I didn't realize how like crazily overt the racism can be. Like, I'm not stupid that there's racism, but my assumption was that most people tried to be sort of closet or somewhat quiet racists or a little mm -hmm. under their breath. I, the overt racism that I, I have personally witnessed and in a couple cases with a dear friend of mine had to get involved with her children to help a situation where they were absolutely getting fucked over. And it was very clear it was because they were undocumented Latinos. It was very clear. Like it was not, there was zero, in, there were two situations in particular um, that I helped get the kids out of um, mm -hmm. where it was, it was so fucking blatant, Diego. And the, in the, the very first time I got involved to help, I was shocked. And mm -hmm. I, I was the, you know, I was the fucking heavy. I was the guy that said, mm -hmm. hey, listen, um, you don't get to do this. Right? Exactly. You fucking don't exactly. get to do this because if you're going to do this to them, you're doing it to me. And now you're dealing with me. Right. And, and so in both cases, uh, was able to make a difference in, 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 in this particularly sticky circumstances where these people were going to get fucked over and it was going to cost them money and, 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 you know, other things, um, in two separate instances. And the only reason it was happening was the person being the asshole could get away with it because they were undocumented and it was fucking blatant. And I found that shocking, but I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, uh, sort of tell me about your life in this area. Yeah. So personally, 
personally, just me, Diego, I haven't experienced something like that, but I know that my parents have. And just because they're Latinos, and unfortunately, and especially being undocumented for the time, right? It's like, there's really nothing that you can do because it's just like, okay, you're trying to get to have something that you really want living in the United States, but you're still always not recognized as an American or not recognized as a legal person. And that comes with, unfortunately, all of those issues. And it's super easy to just people, for example, overcharge people because they're un- because they are uneducated. Um, they just take advantage of that. And interestingly enough, when they when there's that language, the because like most people, if they come here for work and they're adults, they don't even speak English that well. So then the kids, so myself, like that that um, the kids, we are growing, we become adults super easily because we are the translators for our parents between lawyers, between banks, between doctors. So it's like by the time that we are kids like 10, 12, 13 years old, we are literally translating calls or like important information that normal teenagers or kids wouldn't even have to go through. Uh, But it's just the way that the way that it works. But I've definitely seen it. And especially sometimes it's even worse with Latinos. Sadly, this is sad, but it's even worse with Latinos that have their papers and Latinos that don't have their papers. They still treat them like shit just because they think that now they have power. And it happened with my mom as a waitress at the restaurant. Um, there would be a guy that would be like, hey, 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 now you white lady, now you're going to serve me. So it's sort of like, you're both Peruvian. Why, why the whole issue? And it's because of that. It's because there's still, there's always that, sure, we're Latinos, we are immigrants, we are whatever, right? Humans. But here in the United States, there's always that level of like, you do, there are a lot of opportunities to get taken advantage of. Yeah. It's interesting um, in our area, uh, both the county sheriff and the city uh, police force have been very, very public that um, they are not going to participate in any uh, immigration enforcement and Mm -hmm. they don't ask those questions. And yeah, I remember when I first heard that sort of not being sort of educated and not sort of growing up in California and so forth, I sort of thought that you know, I wonder why is that? And of course, what I realized is the reason they take the position is to your point on uh, exploitation and potential Mm -hmm. violence, right? Uh, If, if there's a scenario where the police force or the sheriff's department is known for dealing with immigration issues, then people who are um, without papers, who are the victims of crimes, won't call the cops. Exactly. Exactly. And that makes them even bigger targets. And there's this vicious circle, right? And so, of course, I wasn't mm-hmm. educated before I moved to California. But now that I live here, I understand why the police mm-hmm. divorce themselves from immigration. So much so, Diego, there was a, um, a drug bust that went down in Santa Cruz over the last couple of years. Forget exactly, but in the last two or three years. And um, uh, the Santa Cruz Police Department 
participated with ICE in the busting of these gangs. Um, mm-hmm. And then what happened was apparently um, this all came out because the chief of police came out and talked about it. They had sort of agreed on who the bad guys were that they wanted to go get and that they were going to go partner and get them and bust them. And the ones that were illegal were going to get deported and so forth and so on. And, and what ended up happening was, this is according to Santa Cruz Police Department, if I remember right, the ICE guys not only did that with the targeted bad guys, but a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. And after that happened, the Santa Cruz chief of police went fucking mental, Diego, and came mm-hmm. out and said, first of all, we got duped by ICE on this. They lied to us that they were going to do this. And we will never, ever, ever do anything coordinated with ICE ever. It was, it was just a stunning thing to see how much the police force here wanted to communicate to the undocumented community that, you, if, if, that nobody can fuck with you, that if you need us, we will be here for you, that, that their safety yeah. was way more important than their immigration status. It was something I found profound. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, community wise, right? Like I'm, I wasn't documented and my best friends were all American and like, you know, they, unless I told them that I wasn't documented, they wouldn't know. People don't know who has papers and who doesn't depending on where, where, where they live and what they do. So I feel like doing something like that, welcoming everybody in the community and telling them, hey, we're not, we know that you might be undocumented, but we're not going to take you away. Um, That for me provides even a safer community all around, because then if I know that I'm going to call the police and report something, they're not going to come to me and be like, hey, do you have papers or not? Right. Because then I know that if the person next door got shot and who did it, I'm not going to report that. And now we have that's uh, right. somebody that's loose. So it makes the community more unsafe from that perspective. Yeah, it's, it's very powerful. Now, I, I, I would like to fast forward to today and then maybe work yeah. back some of the details. But um, yeah. who you are today, at, uh, did you say you're 28, Diego? 28, yeah. 28. Who you are at 28 is what I would describe as one massive unpredictable result. And so (laughs) just give me a snapshot of who you are, what you do today, and then maybe we can fill in the blanks from there. Yeah, for sure. Today, as you mentioned, 28 years old, I, I worked at GM for two years and then I transitioned fully into being a realtor uh, here in Austin, where I've been doing it for the past three years now, full time, which has been amazing. And I've also, uh, I also got into real estate investing. And now, uh, 2019, I own 19 doors for a total of 13 properties. And what I'm doing now is helping dreamers, helping other people like me all over the United States be able to buy homes, um, not just here in Austin. Because my story, fortunately, um, has been, went viral when I shared it in 2017, when Donald Trump tried to terminate the DACA program. So I wrote my post, it got almost a thousand shares, and that got me on Fox News, Austin, Forbes, CNN Money, Entrepreneur.com, and, uh, and that caught the attention of a lot of dreamers. So then they were calling me, and they were like, Diego, 
How do I, how can I buy a home? And while that was going on, no banks were loaning to DACA recipients either because they didn't know if the program was going to still happen. So, um, so I basically, I decided that now I am a resource for the dreamers. And now I have a program. I have a website called home for dreamers. Uh, and, um, they, I become the resource where I pair them up with a lender and a realtor and all over the U S and they are able to buy a home. And, uh, the best part, like it's, it's been awesome seeing that similar to what we were talking about, people get taken advantage of. There were realtors that were charging them just for, just to show homes or consultations, just because they didn't know that the realtor works for free as a buyer's agent. But because people don't know what they don't know, they're like, oh, okay, well, I'll pay you 500 bucks and then they will disappear. So I was like, I want my people to get treated the way that they deserve. And uh, that's one of the things that I'm doing now. The other thing that helps me, that always gets me excited is helping millennials, not just dreamers or DACA recipients, but all millennials be able to manage their money the right way and show them that they do not have to work till they're 60 or 65 to retire, but that they can get financial freedom uh, in their 20s or 30s and be able to do what they really want to do. And fortunately, I was able to connect with Tim Road with the mastermind group called Go Abundance. I'll take you back to, I was 23 years old. I heard this in a podcast about Go Abundance. I tweeted out to Pat Hyben and um, he sends me a message. It says, Diego, Go Abundance is for millionaires. We, we, uh, we are a mastermind group that like to achieve amazing things in life. And we like to hold accountable to our goals. And I was like, I went in. At this point, my net worth is 25K. And I, um, I found myself at David Osborne's house in Steamboat with 15 millionaires. And when they're sharing how they got there, what their net worth is, I'm like, my name is Diego. I'm 23 years old. My net worth is 25,000. And I got here because of a tweet that I sent out. And they were literally like, who the heck let this kid in? But Fast forward, like during that event, I turned 24 years old and they pulled me to the side and they said, Diego, Go Abundance is for millionaires, but we want you, but we love your story. We love that you're hungry. We want to help you become a millionaire. And ever since then, Go Abundance and all the guys have been my mentors and they've helped me get from 25,000 net worth to 10 times that. And it's been amazing. So now this is where I want to give back everything that I've learned um, to be able to teach millennials that if I could do it, an undocumented immigrant from Peru, they can do it too. And man, my life changed after I met the guys in Go Abundance. Two weeks after that, I was flying on David Osborne's plane and he was picking up his friends. And I was like, my mind, my mind was blown. And yeah, fast forward till now, quit corporate America, own my properties, helping other millennials, and life is great. <laughs> it's so awesome, Diego. The other thing, um, this is a side note, but knowing a bunch of the guys in GoBundance, um, you know, I knew a bunch of them before the organization was formed. Uh, and obviously, Tim Road being being a very dear friend of of both of ours, um, I also know 
that some of those folks are what you might call fairly conservative politically mm-hmm. and would have fairly uh, um, strong views about um, uh, the Mexican border and immigration policy and what we should do with undocumented uh, folks, et cetera, that, that, that would n- not on its surface sound like they would be uh, empathetic to your situation. Is that a fair thing to say? There's some there's some guys in Go Bunnins that For sure. if you had a conversation with them over a cocktail, mm-hmm. not so much, right? Yeah, and that's the best, like the best part of me. And in like before 2017, I I never shared on Facebook that I have DACA or that I am a dreamer. And it wasn't until Trump tried to terminate it that I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to let people know who I really am, that I have DACA, um, to let them know that, hey, I have accomplished all of this stuff and and I'm still able to do it. And now the program that has helped me, uh, I, I actually, I posted it with a picture of the taxes that I paid in 2016 of over $28,000. So when I share my story, I'm sort of breaking the paradigm that they think that these undocumented dreamers or undocumented people are here to, they don't pay taxes, they, they just take jobs and they don't really um, support our community, right? Uh, they are all like get, 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 where I'm like, I'm all about paying taxes, working my ass off. I have American employees. So interesting now, when I share my story, I'm able to change the perspective of many people. And I practice, uh, I, I gave my story on the stage here at the last Go Abundance event. And a few of the guys came to me and they were like, Diego, I had no idea what it really means to be undocumented because all I see, I see it on the news, but you just changed my mindset. And I was like, hell yeah, that's why I'm sharing it now. Because if I'm, if I'm able to change the mind of all of these super successful millionaire entrepreneurs um, who are making, who may have more, because um, they're more conservative and stuff like that, but I just want to make them aware of what it really means that we are your neighbors. We are like, I'm one of the GoBundance members and I'm right next to you and I'm undocumented. Right. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been super, super cool to just raise the awareness and, uh, and to have them change, change their minds on that stuff. Yeah. It's, you know, cause I, I think people could hear your story and maybe not know the diversity and go abundance on, on the political spectrum. Right. And think that maybe it's a group of Northern California dudes who are like super open to this. I mean, there are those yeah. guys in go abundance for sure. But then there are guys who voted for Trump and believe strongly in a strong immigration policy. And, and so uh, that's why I wanted to underscore it with you. I find y- who you are is so endearing, who you are is so committed, who you are is so unrelenting, who you are is so unfucking predictable in terms of your, your desire and willingness to, to capitalize on what your father explained to you and to keep, make that true and to find you know, find the side door or the window or, or break the side door if you have, whatever it is, right? Um, exactly. It's hard not to be inspired, Diego. I mean, you're an incredibly inspiring man. You know that, right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and you your know what, TED talk, I got to tell you, I yeah. hope everybody listens to it. I don't know how many views it has. It needs to have a billion views. 
It is uh-huh. so, <laughs> and you know, candidly, I, I, listen, I love, I love Ted. I'm 99.9% positive on all the Ted stuff. The only little asterisk for me is a lot of them feel a little formulaic now. And so, you know, it can be harder to get behind it when it feels a little contrived, some of the newer ones. But that said, mm-hmm. God damn it, Diego, that TED talk of yours is fucking insanely great. Oh, man, thank you so much. It was, it was, I really appreciate that coming from you because I've seen you speak and give keynote presentations and I'm, I'm very happy that it had that impact on you. But it was, it was incredible for me to just be on that stage and share my story, and especially overcoming the fear of public speaking, uh, because I've had a speech impediment since I was five years old, and I've been stuttering since, so I've been with therapists and all this other stuff, and it wasn't until I met the GoBundance guys that somehow they just gave me that, like, they told me, Diego, you have to share your story with others, and that's when I was like, okay, I have to get over this fear. And ever since then, I've been able to get on stages, get over that actually, and getting, being able to participate in two TED Talks for me has been amazing. And especially my first TED Talk was here in, in, in Dallas and my parents drove from, from Florida and seeing them on the stage was like, I mean, seeing them from the stage was amazing. I could only give them a just a glimpse because I know if I look my mom into the eyes, I will start crying. But other than that, it was an amazing experience. I, your parents must be so freaking proud of you, Diego. Wow. They are. And they, they are awesome. And at the end of the day, um, I, everything that I was like, I always remember like they are my why, right? And that's something that like I am very passionate about. It's like no matter what happens, people need to have a why. If not, they will create excuses. And I could have had all the excuses to like not go out there and go for the job that I wanted or the company that I wanted and basically be like, you know what? This is not for me. Maybe I'm not supposed to work at GM because I'm undocumented and I just still don't have my paperwork. But their their sacrifices were was always a thing that pushes me. Okay, there has to be a way. Yeah, and uh, what are your thoughts about the future, Diego? My thoughts about the future. So I'm definitely transitioning more. Or so for 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 me, I'm transitioning more into being a speaker. That's what um, that's what's been pulling me, sharing my story more and more now that my TED Talk is live. Um, but with everything that's going on, I am hopeful that Congress will hopefully do something for the DACA recipients, for the dreamers. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I have a feeling that it will be coming soon. And it has to be something where the Republicans or the conservatives go say like, okay, let's work on this together with the Democrats and make something happen. Yeah. It, um, I remember uh, seeing a sign in a doctor's office once, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it, it said something to the effect of, you know, the number one thing, uh, this guy was like an orthopedic type doctor, you know, like fixed broken shit. And, and there was like a sign that said something to the effect of the number one thing overheard here is I thought it would just go away or I thought it would just take care of itself or something, right? Yeah. We need to address the issue. 
Yeah. Yeah, we we do. We do. And I've been fortunately uh in 2017 too, I got called by an organization that's led by Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg. Um, and they chose me as one of the hundred dreamers that they that they flew to DC. And I was able to give a press conference with a couple of congressmen and share my story with like microphones and the TVs and everything and all of that. And it was a great experience to be able to know that, hey, these people do want to help. There's just so much BS going on with Congress that, hey, do we build a wall first? Do we do this first? What do we do with, with all the undocumented immigrants? Or do we first take care of the dreamers? So I feel like they have to compromise at some point to be able to provide a solution. But right now, it's like they want to, but they are not fully committed. Yes. And, and look, I don't care where you sit on the political spectrum on this topic. Um, it would be very hard for me to believe that there would be any meaningful percentage of Americans, regardless of where they are politically, that would say, we don't want Diego to stay in this country. Right? You, you <laughs> can be angry at your folks for what they did. You can have whatever opinion you want, good, bad, or indifferent. You can think whatever you want, and you're entitled to that. And fine. Um, and look, I'm an immigrant to this country, and I came here legally. It would be very easy to be judgmental. Um, at the same time, um, I think many of us have a position that says, hey, um, listen, until you've walked a mile in their shoes, right? It's easy to be judgmental when you haven't had the experience. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. But anyway, all that to the side, regardless of where you land on how you got here. Now that yeah. you're fucking here and you're doing what you're doing and you're a 28-year-old dude crushing it who has an advanced degree, who got a great job at one of America's greatest companies and yet still said, I'm going to leave that to become an entrepreneur and is doing what you're doing yeah. today. It's hard to say, oh yeah, well, fuck, Diego needs to leave. <laughs> right. And, and I'm hopeful that, that that's the case with, with a lot of people. And the more on that post that I shared, uh, where I shared a little bit about my story and all that stuff, they were saying Diego should be deported back to Mexico. And I'm like, I'm Peruvian, dude. Like you're telling, like they just, they're very close-minded um, and they just don't know what they don't know. So yeah. I just want to educate people and raise awareness about it. And fortunately um, it, it has paid off. It has paid off for sure. And I'm helping more people than I thought, like if I was quiet, I wouldn't be as fulfilled as I am right now with everybody that I'm helping out. Yes. And I also think, Diego, candidly, you're a great example of that amazing human spirit, which is, if not me, then who? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Exactly. I mean, it's very clear that you didn't necessarily choose this, but once you decided to come public, um, you said, listen, I'm going to be the guy or one of the guys and, and gals, but right at the forefront of shining this, this light on this topic. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to let the yeah. chips fall where they may as a result. Exactly. That, regardless exactly. of people's belief about whether you should or shouldn't be here, um, mm -hmm. what, you, what you're doing takes courage and nobody can argue with that. Yeah. And I always try to come from a position of value, offering them as much value as I possibly can towards they can be like, holy crap, Diego, like no matter how much I want to 
hate on you. I just can't do it because of uh, because they cannot provide me with any other arguments because of what I've been able to do and shine light on what the other immigrants community is doing as well. Well, and the other one, listen, I'll just put this one on the table. I think you shine a light on um, the the power of intentional life and business and career design, right? Mm -hmm. And so for native-born Americans, to your point, other millennials, as you were talking about earlier, but I don't even think it's just millennials. You know, I'm inspired by you, right? Because what you're, the light you point is from the conversation you shared with your dad, which is, this is America. Go fucking figure it out. There's opportunity here. Go make it happen. Find that side door, right? That's, that's a powerful thing for everybody. And, you know, I've been blown away in the time that I've been here. Um, as you know, primarily in Silicon Valley, I would say easily half the entrepreneurs I've worked with are not native born Americans. And so it's interesting to me that immigrant pursuing the opportunity uh, ethos, and yet there are Americans, and I don't mean this to be pejorative, it's just fascinating that See, and I, you know, I almost, it almost hurts me to say it, but take America for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. Especially depending on where they, where they grew, where they grew up or how they grew up. For example, like when we came here to the States, my parents and my brother and I, we slept on a bunk bed for like two months. And so like, so like I've been to like, what's the bottom of the bottom and the only way to the only way to change is to go up right where other people get comfortable with being average and i was like fuck that i'm not going to be average i know that there's so much more in this country there's so much gold from that perspective um so why not go and get it and not have the excuses that other people will give because i know what is possible and i know that there's an opportunity out there for everybody no matter what background you come from Diego, that was awesome. Anything else you want to touch on before we wrap? No, I would just like to let everyone know that if they want to share my TED Talk, that would be awesome to watch it. Yeah. But we covered all all that's in the show notes, and um, uh, I highly recommend it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you very much for for this opportunity. Um, and I look forward to seeing you here in the Austin event for GoBundance. Very excited to catch up. Yeah, it's coming up soon. And uh, uh, I understand from uh, Timmy, Tim, Tim, we're, uh, we're going to have a great time. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it, Diego. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope that conversation with Diego inspired you, motivated you, and gave you cause for pause because it sure did for me. And if you want to see his TED Talk, that'll also be in the show notes for this episode at lockhead.com. And uh, while you're there, why not hit the subscribe to the newsletter button? If uh, Even if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or um, uh, Spotify, we're on most of the major podcast playing platforms, we don't know you're there. So if you want to have a direct relationship with us, hit the subscribe to the newsletter button on lockhead.com. And A, we'll know you're there. And B, we're going to send you some awesome stuff. Um, We won't send you anything that we think is junk. So it's all kind of awesome learnings we're getting from from the, uh, the podcast. And we'll never, ever, ever sell your name to anybody. Now, 
Mark Mader, the CEO of Smartsheet, says that NetSuite was the only solution that could support significant growth. Natalie Riley, the VP of Finance and Operations at Topo Athletics, says NetSuite is a robust all-in-one system that allows us to do everything we need to simplify and optimize our business. And the folks at Second City, yeah, the comedy troupe, they say we've had exponential growth without having to increase headcount and we're able to handle that with a system like NetSuite. And so NetSuite wants to help you do what they've helped uh, over 18,000 high growth entrepreneurial businesses do, which is to grow your business by knowing your numbers. You gotta stay on top of your seminal numbers and you gotta have a platform for growth. And that's where NetSuite comes in. And as a regular listener to this podcast, NetSuite is offering you a wonderful opportunity to spend an hour with a growth expert in your industry. NetSuite has purpose-built capabilities for most major industries. So go to netsuite.com slash different, and there you'll be able to get yourself set up for your free one-hour growth review. netsuite.com slash different. All right. We would like to thank our guest today, Diego Corzo. What an inspiring and extraordinary entrepreneur. Thank you so much, Diego. Play Bigger, the instant classic from HarperCollins, how pirates, dreamers, and innovators create and dominate markets. Check it out, growwire.com. It's what entrepreneurs are, are reading when they want stories of innovation that, they, that are going to be inspirational. <laughs> Check out growwire.com. My friends at Bottleneck Virtual Assistants want to help you scale yourself by giving you back some time via the power of a virtual assistant. Check out Bottleneck Virtual Assistants uh, or check out bottleneck.online. And I want to tell you about a fascinating, fantastic new handbook. If you're a young person like Diego and you're trying to um, uh, start off in your career, go to crash.co slash different and you'll be able to get a free preview of this awesome new booklet, Crash Your Career. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we'd love it if you shared the shit out of it. All rights do remain perturbed. We uh, need to warn you that this uh, episode is clearly created in a studio that does contain nuts. <laughs> Teach young people entrepreneurship. Take an immigrant under your, uh, under your wing. You never know. You might just make yourself that immigrant and the world a better place. Uh, don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Listen to the Ramones. There's no stopping the Cretans from hopping. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Marcus Rust, CEO of Roseacre Farms. Sorry, Marky. We just ran out of time for you. Thank you, my friends. It means the world to me that you're willing to hang out. I know you have a ton of choices with how you're going to spend your time. There's a lot of media out there. And the fact that you pick up this oddcast, press play, and stick those earbuds in your ear means the world to me and the um, dozen or so people who are involved with this oddcast. Until we're together again, stay legendary. And of course, follow your difference.